0: Good morning, everyone.
1: Can you please stand? Water, you turn into wine. Open the eyes of the blind. There's no one like you. None like you into the darkness you shine out of the ashes we rise there's no one like you there's none
0: like you cuz i got is greater i got is
1: stronger God, You are higher than any other. I got a healer, awesome in power. Our God, our God.
0: And into the darkness You shine. Out of the ashes
1: we rise There's no one like you There's none like you Cause our God is greater I got us stronger God you are higher than any other Our God is healer Awesome in power our God God, yes, our God is greater, and our God is stronger, God, you are higher than any other, our God is healer, he's awesome in power, our God, our God. If our God is for us, then who could ever stop us? And if our God is with us, then what can stand against? And if our God is for us, stronger. God, you are higher than any other. And I got a sealer, awesome in power. Our God, our God. Yes, I got is greater. I got a stronger. God, you are higher than any other. And I got a healer. He's awesome I got a stronger, God, you are higher than any other. I got a sealer, awesome in power. I got, I got, yes, I got is greater, I got a stronger, God, you are higher. Our God is healer He's
0: awesome in power Our God Our God amen.
1: Amen, amen. How great the chasm That lay between us How high the mountains Finished. the end, end is, is written. written, Jesus Christ is my living
0: hope, who could
1: imagine so great a mercy, what I could find Forgiven the king of kings.
2: Amen. He is indeed our living hope. Remain standing and welcome those around you this morning. Well, good morning. All right. Y'all got to stop talking. You may return to your seats. I love, I love to see and hear uh, you guys interacting with one another. That is awesome. Well, good morning. Welcome to Northside Baptist Church. We're so thankful that you are here. If this is your first time with us, welcome. Uh, we're delighted to have you. You are our guest, and we're thankful that you're here. Inside the Bulletin is a place for you to fill out some information about yourself. You can fill that out and put that in the box uh, out there in the foyer. Uh, we would greatly appreciate that. If you have any questions while you're here, you want to know anything more about our church or our ministries, uh, don't hesitate to ask. Well, today's an exciting day because uh, it is church picnic day. Here we go. Um, I was talking to, Lane, and I were talking yesterday, and he's like, man, Dad, I didn't realize Northside did all these things, like the ice cream and the watermelon and the picnic. It's like, yeah, because we didn't get to do any of that last year, so we don't, so we're, we're excited uh, about that. So uh, the way this is going to work, if some of you are new to the picnic like we are, um, the, the address is there in the bulletin. It's $5 to park. There's some maps out there on the welcome desk in the foyer. Um, some some people go home change get their stuff some of you maybe you're ready to roll on down there uh, after church is over Uh, some people start getting there around one o'clock we just hang out fellowship with one another we're going to eat around 5 30 it's going to be some good eating and then after that we have a time of worship Uh, so we'll worship together i'll have a little devotion uh, that i will share and so we want you to be a part of that if you say well pastor i didn't sign up can i still come sure Um, There always seems to be plenty of food, no matter how many people, it always just multiplies, the Lord provides, so uh, I want you to be able to come. A couple other announcements, Youth Council meeting is this Thursday at 7 p.m. You say, well, am I on the Youth Council? To be honest, I don't really know who is and who is not. Um, So, if you have a youth, uh, students, and you want to come be a part of that meeting at 7 o'clock as we begin to plan going into the fall, or you just want to come and hang out, you're welcome to come. So that's Thursday at 7 o'clock. Um, please pay attention, really important announcement about the women's ministry um, and how we're going to be able to love on the teachers at Arbor Springs Elementary on Monday, August 2nd at 11 a.m. You say, how can I help? There's a couple ways. One, Robin is going to be out in the foyer after church. Uh, we need food. So if you're willing to bring food, see her. You can actually bring that food next Sunday if you want. We'll put it in the fridge and stuff here. Keep it cold, and then since it's the next day, that would be fine if you don't want to have to bring it up Monday morning. We also need help Monday morning when we get there, so if you're willing to help, you're available to help on that Monday, and love on these teachers. Also see Robin and let her know about that. Um, Awana is going to be kicking up here um, in just a few weeks. We need volunteers, so please look at that list. Uh, We meet on Sunday nights. If you want to know more about Awana, you can ask Alexa. She'll give you all the information that you need to know about that, and we want uh, to be able to continue to offer this ministry. We want to do it well, and to do that, we need help. We need volunteers. So if you're interested, uh, let Alexa know. And one more thing I want to make sure that, that everybody understands is our deacon elections begin next week. And so we haven't had any other men come up to me and say, hey, you missed me, you overlooked me. So there's seven men. Uh, that that'll be on the ballot as we go into our new year with new deacons. We have three deacons that roll off. Uh, you're going to be able to vote the next two Sundays. The times for you to vote the next two Sundays are from 8:30 to 9:15. Um, there'll be somebody outside and there'll be somebody in the fellowship hall. Our deacons are going to be outside in the fellowship hall. So 8:30 to 9:15. It doesn't take long to vote, or you can vote after the service, and we'll have about 30 minutes. Or until the last person's through the line. So um, you'll have times to vote before and at, before Sunday school and after the worship service. Um, we'll send out a message this week just reminding you of that. Um, but our deacons mean so much to Northside. Our deacon ministry and the way that they love on our families. And so it's an exciting time of the year. All right, our verse for praying the scripture this morning is Psalm 115, verse 1. And this is what it says not to us, O Lord. Not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. This is just a reminder to all of us, myself included, that when we gather to worship, right, it's about God and not to us or our glory or our name. And so would you take a moment, pray through that verse, let the Spirit of God stir your hearts, then I'll pray for us and then we'll continue to worship by singing Stand Up, Stand Up for Jesus. So let's spend a couple moments in prayer. Father God, it's good to be here this morning in this place with your people and your presence. God, remind us this morning, remind my own heart that it is not to us, but to your name be the glory. Father, you reminded me yesterday during our time with men in such simplistic terms that we all need to be reminded that we are, each of us, the chief of sinners. God, this morning, there is no one in this place who is a worse sinner than I am. I need to be reminded of that today. And then I need to be reminded that You are an amazing Savior. Jesus, only You can save me from my wretched sins. And therefore, this morning, I have no reason to boast in myself or elevate myself or to make this about me. But God, it is to be only about you. God, right now, what I see a lot in the world are people making it about them. And sometimes even Christians making it about them or what they think or what they believe. And God, rather we are to be united around the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it is only the good news of Jesus that can save us. And as we were reminded yesterday, all the Old Testament points to you, Jesus. We're going to see that again this morning as we finish up Ruth. This is about you, Jesus. This is about your glory, your honor, your coming to redeem a people. And so, Father, help us as we're about to sing, stand up, stand up for Jesus. God, may we stand for Jesus. I don't want to stand for Aaron. I don't want anybody to stand for me. I want us to stand for Jesus and Jesus only. So God, will we're falling short of that, will you convict us this morning? Will you, will you bring about repentance in our life? Will you bring about that life change, God, that only you can do through the Spirit of God? We don't want to leave here the same today. We want to leave here knowing we are in the presence of God. And as a result of that, we're different. We're different for your glory and your honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, we're going to sing Stand Up, Stand Up for Jesus, and you can't do that sitting down, right? So stand with us and let's sing. (laughs)
0: Oh! <laughs>
3: we
2: god's word take your bibles turn to ruth chapter 4 ruth chapter 4 as we finish our study in the short book ruth chapter 4 this is the word of the lord beginning in verse 13 so boaz took ruth and she became his wife And he went in to her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, "'Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a Redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him.' Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse." And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. You may be seated. So when I begin to, to map out the preaching plan for this short book, four chapters, the original goal was to preach it in five weeks. Two weeks in chapter 1, and then one week in chapter 2, 3, and 4. Well, today is week number 10. So uh, it took me a little bit longer than I had originally planned, uh, but I hope this study has been a blessing to you as we worked our way through the book of Ruth. And so we come right to verse 13 this morning, and, and what we've been waiting to happen right, finally happens, and there's not a lot of verses devoted to it. It's, it's pretty brief, verse 13 says, so Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. Right, they finally get married. They finally come together. And then it says, And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. So the author says, they got married. Fast forward nine months, she has a son. No other details, just that's what happens, right? And so, so here we are. Ruth and Boaz have a son. And this son that God provides Ruth and Boaz... Is going to be a tremendous blessing. So, last week we, we saw how the witnesses pray this prayer of blessing, right, for Ruth, for Boaz, and for the family. And this morning, what I want us to see as we wrap this up is how this son, in fact, becomes a blessing to Naomi first, then to Israel, and then eventually the nations. So, how this son becomes a blessing to Naomi, to Israel. And to the nation. So let's begin with how this son, number one, brings blessing to Naomi. Verse 14. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a Redeemer. And may His name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child, laid him on her lap, and became his nurse. Man, how I love verse 16. It says, Naomi takes this child, his name is Obed, takes this child and lays him on her lap. Naomi has just become a grandma. Any grandparents in here? In a way, it was probably more fun than raising your own kids, right? There's something about being a grandma. So I was thinking about this picture, right, of Naomi taking Obed, placing him on her lap. Most of you in this room, not all of you, but most of you have experienced that joy in your life where you had a son or a daughter or maybe you were just the older brother or the older sister and you got to hold your little sister or brother, but you've experienced that joy. You understand how a child changes everything. I remember when Landon was born. Right, Ryan was in labor and uh, things weren't progressing and so they decided to do an emergency C-section and so that kind of threw us for a loop and I remember going in into surgery and then getting to hold Landon for the first time. Right, to get to experiencing that joy of, man, my life is now different. And because Ryan had a C-section, which is surgery, right, she was limited in what she could do. She could be in the hospital an extra day, and she couldn't just get up and move about. And so that night, you know, Lane is back and forth between the nursery and our room, and, and Lane is now with us, and he just made a mess in his diaper, and Ryan can't get up to change him. And so she's like, Aaron, you're going to have to do it. Now, full disclosure, I love kids. Really, when they start talking to me, um, I have never, I don't know why, I've never been comfortable with babies. Never. I'm afraid I'm going to break them. Like, I got to, to hold my, my nephew for the first time when we went to Kentucky, and man, I was just like so nervous, and I shouldn't be nervous anymore, but I was, and so, right, I maybe had changed one diaper my entire life, and there's landed, and so I get the diaper off, and then it starts coming out both ends, and I'm like, <laughs> what have I signed up for? And, and I realized that this kid just changed everything. And then I remember going to the pregnancy center in Leesburg, Florida. And I remember sitting on a green couch. And we have the picture, sitting on this green couch. And it's Ryan, and it's myself, and it's Landon. And for the first time, right, we're holding Malachi. How a child changes everything. And so here's Naomi. And I want us to think about how we see her at the beginning and the end. Naomi goes from empty... So now when we get to chapter 4, she's full. She goes from empty. Do you remember how she describes herself? Go back to chapter 1. We're going to go back and forth a lot this morning as we, as we tie everything together. We see this in verse 20. Uh, she, says, she said to them, Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back what? Empty. She says, I'm empty. And now we come to chapter 4, and she's full. And these women recognize this, right? Because they say in verse 15, He, this child, shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. This child, this grandson of yours is going to be a restorer of life, a nourisher of your old age. More than likely, Obed would probably care for Naomi, the older she got. He would assist in that. And then they say this, For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Tony Merida in his commentary writes this, Ruth's devotion to Naomi is so great that having her is better than having 7 sons. 7 was a number of perfection and sons were highly prized and it was the loss of her sons that was a key reason for Naomi's bitterness in chapter 1. Right her husband is dead, her sons are dead, she's empty, she's bitter, But when we come to the end, we realize she was never really empty because of Ruth's pledge to her mother-in-law and how precious that was and then what God was doing. So let let me say this before we move away from Naomi. I want you to see that even in tragedy, the loss of a husband and her two sons, God is still faithful and He is working for His glory and for our good. In every situation. I want you to notice this. Ruth chapter 1 verse 13. Listen to what she says. Know my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. She says to her daughter-in-laws, listen, the hand of God is not absent. It's gone out against me. God is against me. He's not for me. He's against me. He's bringing this about. He's he's punishing me, if you will. And now we come to chapter 4, verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. There are only two times in this story that the author explicitly mentions the Lord's involvement explicitly mentioning the Lord's involvement. One of them occurs in chapter 1. I told you we were going back and forth quite a bit. Verse 6, Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited His people. The Lord had visited His people. And then we have here in chapter 4, verse 13, right? It was the Lord that gave her conception. God is always working in your life. So I did a funeral this past Saturday. It was actually for a gentleman I'd never met. Um, In like 2017, he attended Northside for a couple months, Um, never really involved in church beyond that. His son lives in Atlanta, attends church there. Uh, They reached out and said, hey, whoever the pastor is there, we would like a local pastor to do the service. It's going to be here in Noonan. He told me the reason they wanted a pastor is because if there was any family or friends who attended that lived in Noonan and the message spoke to them, they wanted them to be able to go to a church, a pastor that they could go to. And so did the funeral. It was primarily just family. He had passed away in October of last year, but because of COVID, they couldn't do a service. So I was talking to the gentleman that passed away. It was his sister-in-law. She said something that I mean, was just so profound. It was just like a light bulb moment. She said this. She said, there are times that we cannot see the hand of God. There are times in our life where we cannot see the hand of God, and maybe you're there. Maybe you don't see the hand of God right now in your life, but here's what she said. In those moments when we can't see the hand of God, we must be reminded of the heart of God. I was like, that is good, but I'm, I'm, I'm never going to forget that. So we, we, we lose sight sometimes of the hand of God. And maybe you're there right now. You're like, God, what are you doing right now in my life? What are you doing? God, I don't understand how you're working this for your glory, my good. What are you doing? But in those moments, you have to be reminded of the heart of God. And the heart of God is that He loves you, and He is for you, and He is not against you. And ultimately, in all things, even the difficult things, He can bring it about for His glory and your good that's exactly what he does in Naomi. She was never really empty. God was working in her life the entire time. So that's the first blessing. The second blessing is this. This son brings blessing to Israel. Now if you're reading um, through Ruth and you get into 1 Samuel for the first time, what you're about to read is mind-blowing. But for most of us, we know the story. And so sometimes it loses uh, it's oomph, if you will. It's, it's power because we've heard it. But don't let that happen. I want you to see what takes place here. So verse 17, And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse. The father of who? David. Now again, if you're reading for the first time, you're like, Okay, that's cool. His name's David. But as you continue to read, you realize this young man David is going to have a significant role to play in Israel. And you understand that this is about more than bringing together two individuals. So let me once again set the historical context for when Ruth is taking place. Chapter 1, verse 1. So what it says, In the days when the judges ruled, who was ruling? The judges. You're like, oh, that sounds familiar. I think there's a book of the Bible named after the judges. You would be correct. And it's right before Ruth. So you don't have to look very far until you come to the last chapter of Judges, chapter 21, the last verse, verse 25, and this is what it says. In the days, the days of what? The days of the Judges, the days where Ruth and Boaz, this story is unfolding, in the days of the Judges, there was no what? King. There was no what in Israel? King. In the days of the judges, when Ruth and Boaz and his story is unfolding, and they have Obed, in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Israel was a broken nation. They were the people of God, but they were a broken nation. Their wickedness and their disunity was threatening their survival. And the judges was a tumultuous time in their life. And soon, these people are going to call out for a king. First Samuel tells us the elders will gather together. They'll come to Samuel the prophet. They'll declare, now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. The Lord speaks to Samuel and says, Obey the voice of the people and all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. So in the days of the judges, there should have been a king. He was God ruling over them. But they had rebelled against that. There was no king among them. They wanted an earthly king. So God says to Samuel, give them what they want. But in all of this, God is working out His grand plan of redemption. They want a king, God's going to give them a king. He's ultimately, eventually going to give them greater than what they could even ask for. So, how does the book of Judges begin? In the day when the judges ruled. How does the book of Ruth end? Ruth begins within the day the judges ruled. How does it end? It ends with the genealogy of David, who becomes a what? A king. It's fascinating. It begins in the day the judges ruled, and it ends with the genealogy of Israel's most famous king, David. Daniel Block writes, With the possible exception of Moses, David is without doubt one of the most important characters in the Old Testament. He was the first legitimate king of Israel from God's perspective preoccupies the authors of 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles. He was the composer of many psalms and the subject of many prophetic utterances. Warren Wearsby writes, Whether he had in his hand a sling or sword, a harp or hymnal, David was a great servant of God who brought untold blessings to Israel. And here's what you need to understand. As we think about this theme of Messiah, that develops through the Old Testament and into the New Testament. All of the messianic hopes are tied to and grounded in David. All of it is grounded in King David. Specifically, 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12 says, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name. Listen to this. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. So God has a plan to bless Israel, to make them great. And it's going to come through David, the great-grandson of Ruth and Boaz, who was born not too long after Obed, right? Obed grows up, he has a son Jesse, Jesse then has a son David. And so, who brings so much blessing to the people of God in the Old Testament? It's David. This is far more than about Ruth and Boaz. But then I want you to see something else this morning, and that is this. This son brings blessing to the nations. Sometimes we skip over genealogies. Right? You get into the Chronicles, and man, there's just so many names and people, and you're like, what? I don't even know what all this means. But when you come to the end of chapter Ruth, it's pretty simple. Verse 18. Now, these are the generations of Perez. We talked about Perez last week. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Abinadab. Abinadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. You're like, well, that's wonderful. A great way to end this wonderful story. But is there significance beyond right now? And the answer is yes. So take your Bibles with me, please, and go to the first book of the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew as we bring to conclusion the story of Ruth. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Jesus and Christ is not the first and last name. His name is Jesus. Christ is His title. He's the anointed one. He is Jesus the Messiah. All right? The son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, we've already talked about David a little bit this morning, but now he's the son of Abraham. What is all that about? Well, you have to go back to Genesis chapter 12. It's a covenant that God makes with Abraham and ultimately with his nation, his descendants. Now, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. We know this nation is to become Israel. I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God is talking here about He is going to make a covenant with Israel. He is going to use Israel. Israel will be the people of God. But through Israel, His plan all along was to bless the nations. It wasn't just Israel. It was to bless the nations. And as we get into the New Testament, we begin to see God's plan unfolding before us. So, the son of Abraham. And then we begin the genealogy. Abraham, verse 2, was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah, and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez, here's these names again, the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Abinadab, and Abinadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. And then we Drop down to verse 16. We're going to skip a few names here for time's sake. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, who is the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. So, what Matthew is establishing for us in these opening verses is that the lineage of Jesus is tied back to David. Now, notice it doesn't say Joseph, the father of Jesus. It says the husband of Mary, right? Because Joseph technically wasn't the biological father of Jesus. He raised him and as if he adopted him, but Jesus was born in a supernatural birth, a virgin birth. But through Joseph, the line goes back to David, and it's through the line of David that the Messiah will come. So we continue, verse 18, and now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. Drop down to verse 20. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of who? David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Listen to a few other verses. Revelation twenty two sixteen. 16. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. Matthew 21, 9. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And then one more verse. Romans chapter 1. Listen to how... Ruth and Boaz and their son Obed and Obed having Jesse and Jesse having David who becomes king and through David will come the Messiah and the Messiah is Jesus Christ who becomes a blessing not just to Israel but to the nations. So as we wrap this up, I want to kind of show you what I've been doing here on Sunday mornings in, in sermon planning. So we just finished up, spent 10 weeks, a lot longer than I thought we would, uh, in, in the book of Ruth, right? And when we think about Ruth, it's this beautiful love story between two people, but it's really right set within a greater love story, and that is God's redemption of a people. That's what Ruth is really about, God's redemption of a people. So we've seen this idea of redemption, of God redeeming a people, saving a people unto Himself, Anybody remember where we were before Ruth? We took a couple weeks, but before that, we talked about the seven sayings of Jesus from the cross. All right? We looked, we zeroed in, spent 7 weeks upon the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus on the cross, right? What, what do we read in, in Matthew chapter 1? Jesus will save his people from their sins. That Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is the Redeemer. And so we spent seven weeks looking at how Christ has purchased our redemption for us. So we spent seven weeks looking at how Christ is the Redeemer. Then we went to the Old Testament to see a picture of this redemption in the Old Testament. How all along it's been pointing to Jesus. Now where are we going next? We're going to the book of Ephesians. I have no idea how long we're going to spend in Ephesians. I promise it won't be five or ten weeks. It could take us a year. It could take us six months. I don't know. But here's what I want to do. All right, pastor, we got in the Old Testament, this God and redemption and the story of redemption ultimately pointing to God redeeming a people. And then we got Jesus Christ dying on the cross for our sins, showing that He is the Redeemer, He is the Savior. So what? So what? See, where I fear a lot of Christians have got to is they got to this place where they know a little bit about the Old Testament. They probably read Ruth because it's short. Maybe they understand what redemption is all about. They know about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. They've even made a profession of faith in Jesus, maybe followed Him in believer's baptism, but for them it stops right there. They never get beyond, okay, Jesus saves me, now What? Jesus saved me, so what? He's my Redeemer, but what does that mean for my life? And so when we get into Ephesians, I'm going to talk a little bit about this tonight at the the picnic. When we get into Ephesians, the first three chapters, it's simply doctrine. It's Christ has done this for you. This is who you are in Christ. For three chapters, it's this is who you are in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. That it's not just He died for you, so what? It changes you. It changes your standing. It changes everything about you. But then chapters 4, 5, and 6, man, he gets so practical. He talks about how being in Christ affects your family. How being in Christ changes the church, brings about the church. He talks about how being in Christ changes the way we parent. How we're in Christ, we're to stand against the enemy. right? So all of this flows out of our Redeemer, who He is for you, who you are in Him. So the so what is everything changes if you know Jesus Christ as Redeemer. And and my fear when I look at the church of Jesus Christ today is we've got people who can semi-articulate the gospel that Jesus died for me, He saved me, but His dying and saving them has not really changed the way they live. And there's a major disconnect there because according to Ephesians, Everything about you has changed. And therefore, you should live and look completely different as a result of Christ being your Redeemer. So, man, I just want to challenge you uh, to dive into Ephesians with us. If you miss a Sunday, you can go back and watch it online. I mean, there's so much stuff here. It's going to take us a long time to work our way through it. But that's the big picture of where we're going. Would you just close your eyes and, and bow your heads this morning? You know, today was just kind of a summary. I just wanted you to see, once again, big picture of how Ruth ties into, not only, again, blessing the individuals in the story, but Israel and to the nations, ultimately pointing us to Jesus. So here's the question for you this morning. It's simple. Do you know Jesus? Do you understand why Jesus came, why He lived, why He died, the fact that He's been raised from the dead, seated at the right hand of, of God the Father? He's in the heavenly places, ruling and reigning He's coming again. Do you know that gospel truth? Do you understand that you were a sinner who needed to be redeemed? That you are, as I mentioned earlier, the chief of sinners. There is no greater sinner than you. And you needed a Savior to save and redeem you. Do you know that gospel? Have you put your hope and your faith and your trust in Jesus, the Redeemer? And if you have then the question we're going to ask a lot over the next several months is, so what? How has Jesus changed your life? How has who Christ is and you in Christ, how has that changed your life? And if there's anybody in your life right now that, that is refusing to believe in Jesus as the Redeemer, I'm just going to ask them, maybe you would ask the Lord to impress them upon your heart, that you would begin to pray for them, that you might write their name down and begin to, to lift them up in prayer, that the blessings that you have experienced in Christ, that they would come to know in Christ. And for the people that you live with and work with and are surrounding you, would you begin to pray as we move into Ephesians that God, your Redeemer, would also be the very one who would transform you and change you, and that your life would be lived differently as a result of Christ. Father, thank you. Again, for the opportunity, the blessing, the privilege it is to gather in this place with your your people, your children, your sons and daughters, our brothers and sisters in Christ. Father, thank you for the living word that is Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God, our Messiah. Thank you for the written word that corrects us, rebukes us, transforms us, changes us. Father, I pray right now that the Word of God would just change and transform our hearts. Thank you, Father, for where we've been. Thank you for the words that we have studied. Thank you, God, for this beautiful picture of love, of marriage, but ultimately of redemption. Father, may that redemption be a reality for us, and may it lead to a changed, transformed life as we understand that we once were empty, but now in Christ we are full. That we once were dead, but now in Christ we are alive. We once we're blind, but now we see. And God, lastly, I just pray that if anyone here this morning feels, God, that your hand is either against them or you have removed it from their life, God, I pray that in this moment they would be reminded of your heart, of your love for them, of the kindness towards them that you have shown them in Christ. Spirit of God, that you would just meet them right where they are. Wrap them up, Father, in your arms and hold them close. Sustain them and strengthen them. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm gonna ask you to stand. We're gonna to sing together. I'll be here at the front if you need to respond as the Spirit of God leads you.
3: When we walk with grieve for
2: may remain standing. Ken Anderson is the deacon of the week. Uh, he's going to come and close us with a word of prayer. Again, you're invited to the church picnic. I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, so hopefully you'll come join us and hang out with us. If you got any questions about the picnic, you can see me. I'll be out there in the foyer. Ken, if you'll come on up. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the words that were spoken here today and help us to um, marinate on this and hide your word in our heart. Look forward to the next series of sermons that we're going to be hearing from Pastor Aaron. Um, go with us today and help us to, to be the light of the world and hide your, heart and, your word in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat>